We don't talk nearly enough or think nearly enough about what the private sector can be doing as it relates to solving big, complex social issues. And I think that's a really interesting emerging area that, that we, we want to start thinking about and what we've started to think about that we really want to see progress. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Anuj. And you're listening to the Just Good Business Podcast. It's a show about amplifying the voices of social enterprises, the humans behind them, and the journey they are on. Join us as we learn from Nova Scotia's social enterprises. Hearing what inspired them to take the unusual path for doing social good, creating prosperity beyond profit. Let's explore Nova Scotia's world of social entrepreneurship together. Who knows? You may be closer to running your own social enterprise than you think. Davis Peer is a certified B Corp consulting firm that provides innovative solutions to complex government services and social challenges. Working with public, nonprofit, and private sector organizations in Canada and internationally, they strive to deliver the services necessary to improve society and the lives of others by designing, planning, and implementing lasting change. In this episode, we'll be learning with you as we chat with co-founder and managing partner, Mike Davis. Now bear with me, because this is a long one. Mike is a father. He's been an engineer, consultant, and public servant. He's now a somewhat reluctant entrepreneur. He's definitely a social entrepreneur, works as a behavioral scientist focused on public policy improvements. He's worked all over the world, and he's an incredible systems level thinker. Let's dive right in. Mr. Mike Davis, thank you so much for joining us from your uh, beautiful offices in Lower Water Street in Halifax. Can't wait to get into it. Um, and let's start with an easy one. Um, uh, Mr. Mike Davis of Davis Pier, would you mind telling us the uh, Davis Pier origin story? Sure. Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks. Uh, thanks very much, Matt and New for uh, for having me. Uh, excited to to be here. Uh, so, I guess the the origin story. Uh, Ten years ago, almost, uh, my uh, my co-founder Daryl Piranowski uh, and I uh, decided to get into uh, consulting together. Uh, and so, you know, at, at that time, um, we the plan was uh, for us to uh, to start a company uh, that uh, we worked at together and. Uh, hopefully feed our families and see if we couldn't do some interesting work. Um, and uh, most of the work that we had done in the past was with government. Um, so that's where we focused. And, and over time, uh, we, we just started to, to basically have an opportunity to do more of that. So a lot, uh, a lot of work with uh, the public sector, a lot of work uh, then with the community sector. Uh, and, and over time, we've, um, we've built up a number of clients and we've had people join the company and uh, and decide to stay so it, it grew from two to, to what we are today uh, and then about uh, five years into that journey uh, we also founded a, a not-for-profit uh, which is our social innovation outpost called peer labs um, with the recognition that um, from a consulting point of view uh, we were getting asked to do uh, tackle a lot of sort of complex social and policy issues uh, and I think one of the gaps that we identified was that there wasn't a whole lot of um, there wasn't a whole lot of 
applied research that was being done uh, or applied innovation that was being done in that public and social sector space. Uh, so we uh, we founded that uh, organization and have uh, built that team up uh, as well. So they're very, very integrated uh, organizations and, and business models, but but two, two separate uh, registered entities. Gotcha. So you said that, um, so that's Peer Labs and that's the Social Innovation Hub and Davis Peer is your um, original entity from 10 years prior. And if I'm not mistaken, is Davis Peer a, a B Corp? We are, yeah. So we registered as a B Corp. We looked into being a CIC, um, but ultimately decided to to just sort of uh, keep the, the initial registration. But we just uh, got B Corp status uh, a year or two ago. How would you, in like one or two sentences, describe what Davis Peer does and what Peer Labs does as separate as possible as they possibly can be from each other? Davis Peer, uh, I guess in one or two sentences, does policy and program design, innovation, and implementation uh, with government and uh, with community organizations. Uh, And Peer Labs does uh, applied research uh, projects in and around health and social science research. So we we sort of are two sides of the same coin. Sometimes we, we've got things that we we feel like uh, we'd like to dig into as far as a, a complex issue, and we'll pursue funding to do research and and put together consortiums and partnerships. And sometimes we have clients reach out to us and identify a, a sort of a problem that needs to be solved, and and we try to go about doing that. We started as a consulting firm. We've evolved quite a bit. Uh, you know, in ten years, we still do consulting, and and uh, in a you know, in the absence of of really having a, a good term for what we do, we we do refer to ourselves as a consulting company. But so much of our work is implementation and innovation, and sort of on the ground working with uh, with community, uh, with the citizenry uh, to tackle those large complex issues. You know, within the context of lived experience. Hmm. I love that. What about Mike Davis? What about your journey? What what kind of how did you get started on your entrepreneurial journey that's kind of evolved to this point? That's such a great question. Ten years ago, you know, I think some people when they start a business, they they endeavor to be entrepreneurs and they 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 sort of they take on that persona really. And I think you know, ten years ago when when Daryl and I started the company, uh, you know, we didn't consider ourselves to be entrepreneurs. Uh, it was only probably a few years later or a few years ago, sorry, that we really started to think about ourselves as uh, as entrepreneurs. We started the company because, you know, we were confident that we could do consulting. But, you know, I, I do, I love the concept of social entrepreneur because that's really ultimately, I think, what what we've evolved into. We've been able to leverage this, this business uh, that we've got to be able to generate good for people. I still don't know that I consider myself an entrepreneur. Uh, other people perhaps would... Uh, would disagree, uh, but I think you know maybe that's that uh, imposter syndrome that, that we probably all uh, all continue to have in the back of our heads. Any success that we've had at Davis Pier has been uh, because we've tra- stayed true to our values, uh, which I think is really really important for any business, but specifically one that says it's in the in that social impact, social entrepreneur space. We use the golden rule, you know, every single day uh, that I, I talk to my kids about. Right, treat other people the, the way you want to be treated. And we apply that to our partners and our clients and our team as well. And so it's, it's steered, us, steered us well. We are really looking forward to uh, some of the nitty gritties of your operations and your business in our province, beautiful province, uh, well endowed that we are. And we enjoy so many privileges here 
we also face a number of emerging and evolving challenges, be it healthcare, be it uh, elder care, be it child care, uh, be it transportation, be it housing, which has reached a crisis situation right now, and the list goes on. How does your organization engage with some of these issues uh, which are really uh, emerging and, and complex in nature? How do you approach them vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, the state as yeah. well as community sector? You know, first of all, I think what we we do is we do not engage in each of those problems uh, in a similar way um, because they're all different. We don't engage in those problems in a way that we would perhaps in another jurisdiction because we're different here. And I think that's a really important point to, to sort of highlight um, is that you know, Nova Scotia, Atlantic Canada has a, has a different context. Uh, so while there are, uh, there are examples of solutions that have worked, certainly health and social services, healthcare and social well-being are very, very complex domains, uh, and very specific to, to people and their, and their differences. So, you know, we will do common things and we'll look for what the, what the evidence says of, of what has worked and what hasn't worked. Uh, will engage with uh, with all of the quote unquote stakeholders uh, that you regularly need to engage with when you work with government. Uh, and then I think what we do is we layer on a lot more work, go as far down the road of collaboration with those people with lived experience uh, as as we possibly can. And some of the partners and the clients that we work with uh, are more receptive to that than others. Uh, and and we we like to kind of latch on to the ones that are more receptive to because we think we're going to get better solutions, you know. Uh, and I think that that having that human element and having that that sort of understanding of of people's individual context is really really important. I was talking to somebody the other day about sort of big P policy ideas, and and you know I made the comment we I don't know that the world needs any more big ideas. Right. What we need is we need people that can take these ideas and work with the people that are, you know, are being impacted to figure out how to implement them. Right. We stress implementation so much in our business um, because writing reports and having big ideas and, you know, and presenting at conferences and, and these types of things, you know, while while important, what's really important is actually doing a thing. Right. Actually implementing something that's going to impact people's lives and the the more of this work we get to do, uh, the more fortunate I feel um, that we are getting to utilize this privilege that we have, whether it's the privilege of this business model that we've got now, the privilege that I have as a, as a male, as a white male, you know, that has resided in Nova Scotia my entire life. You know, I've, I've had some great mentors that have helped me understand what, what that means. Uh, and we sort of show up every day thinking about, you know, how do we how do we take the advantages that we've had and apply that to find really interesting and important solutions to very tough problems? Let's hear some examples of some of the projects and initiatives that uh, you have done that you really feel proud of or, or really you think uh, are, have made an impact or in the yeah. process of making yeah. an impact. I, you know, I'll, I'll certainly am able to talk about, about some of them. I'm not able to talk about uh, other ones. I'll talk generally about uh, the the space that we're Absolutely. in, so we do yep. a lot of work in healthcare uh, and sort of community primary long term care. We do a lot of work in and around social services, income uh, supports, 
food insecurity, disability supports. Uh, and we do a lot of work in affordable housing uh, as well. And so, you know, some of the work that I'm most proud of, I mean, certainly through, uh, through COVID, we, we played, we had the opportunity to play a substantive role in, in helping to implement uh, some of the public health policy that, you know, around uh, rollout of vaccine, uh, around the establishment of, of COVID testing uh, sites. And again, I think that a lot of the success of that was understanding what the physicians were saying, understanding what the, what the system needed, and then also under getting that local context of, you know, on the ground lived experience and, and not assuming that one solution would meet everybody's needs. Cause we know that that's not how people are. Um, so, you know, that, that's some work that we were proud of. We've done a lot of really interesting work around food security, uh, as well, where we've thought about, you know, the food bank model, uh, is dying. Uh, and you know, when you, I've, I've heard Nick Jennery, the executive director of Feed Nova Scotia say this, that, you know, they are not having a substantive impact on food insecurity through Feed Nova Scotia. They are, they are standing up a necessary system, but assuming that food banks are going to address food insecurity is like assuming emergency rooms are going to fix the healthcare system. They're not, they're purpose built for one, one aspect. So we've done some really interesting models looking at, you know, people that are moderately food insecure and thinking about different innovations of you know, food delivery and engaging local business in different models uh, as well. And then the final thing I think that, that really is on the cusp for us is around affordable housing, finding ways to encourage and foster innovation, whether it's innovation in financing projects or innovation in, in construction materials uh, and, and approaches, because all of the experts would say, would indicate, uh, we're not going to build our way out of this affordability crisis if we continue to do it in the way that we're doing it, right? Uh, just like we're not going to be able to hire ourselves out of the, the healthcare crisis by just going and finding uh, more physicians. And so we really need to be thinking, you know, really differently about actually creating new housing markets uh, and, and, uh, and having them financed differently and having them regulated differently. And we've got some, we've got some interesting partnerships on the horizon around that. Fascinating, Mike. Um... In global terminology, often these are called disruptive business models. And, and so from a business perspective, how do you try and measure success of your enterprise? You know, what are the matrices that you follow internally uh, to see that you, know, if you are on the path yeah. that you want to be? What are the markers that you follow? I think anybody that's in a social enterprise probably has uh, a bit of a bit of a, a push and pull uh, and that we need to have a sound business model, uh, which means we need to be profitable and we need to be profitable because we need to pay people that work at Davis Pier what the market would suggest they, they should get because we have an amazing team. And, uh, and if we aren't compensating them appropriately, then, you know, it's human nature. They're going to, they're going to go somewhere else. Uh, so those are sort of, that's the easy one, right? Is, is that traditional, those traditional business markers. Uh, going through the B Corp certification had us think a lot about what is the impact that we are looking to generate, that we are generating. And also what was really good about it was that it was sort of a benchmark that allowed us to figure out where we were doing really well and where we had some, some room to make up uh, as well. So that, that whole B Corp scorecard really has become a, a great tool for us. Um, I think how we translate that into our business 
is, you know, like, like everything, uh, what gets measured gets managed. And so that's top of mind for us. But also, you know, I'm, I'm a proponent of simplifying things as well. And so we're in the process now of trying to figure out how do we take that B Corp, uh, the data out of that, uh, and the metrics in that and kind of distill it down into two or three or four things that will help us understand, are we on the right path? Right. Uh, Luckily, I mean, what's really interesting is if we do our jobs, uh, you know, so if we make our widgets, you know, which are projects with government, uh, those widgets should generate impact. I find the uh, social enterprises that don't necessarily have that same luxury to be absolutely fascinating and really, really inspiring. You know, so P4G is a great example, you know, where, where you folks have taken a business model uh, and, and you've pivoted it to make sure that, you know, you are really, you know, integrating impact and integrating that the social impact aspect, uh, to that you, you could just be recruiting and, you know, supporting organizations to recruit and hire people. But I know that's not the, the way that you're wired. And it makes you think, I think a little bit differently for us, that is the good fortune is that, you know, like I said, our, our widgets generate impact. Um, but it's also important for us to be thinking internally about, you know, taking care of our, our folks. Uh, and uh, in engaging in in community and everything we do, what we are learning from you, Mike, is that not only you are a social enterprise, you also are building uh, or contributing to the whole social enterprise ecosystem uh, in some ways. And so the disruptive business models are thinking differently of how the regular way of doing things are not going to solve big challenges and what more and different thinking is needed uh, in the business world uh, to to move in a different direction. Governance structures have been set up such that there are private sector organizations, public sector organizations, and then, you know, disparagingly put the third sector, right? Uh, and and everybody, you know, a lot of a lot of people in those sectors sort of play their traditional parts. I think we need to we need to rethink all of that. Uh, if we're going to get out of uh, some of the some of the crises that you know that face us, uh, and I think social enterprise is a really great example of that. Um, you don't need to be a not-for-profit or community organization to have a social purpose. It's okay to have a community organization or not-for-profit that pays people at market, and government and the public sector, you know, does need to take on some risk and, and innovate a little bit uh, more so than they have in the past, and and more so than frankly, the, the, you know, the public has, and, and the media has allowed them to. And so I think those types of constraints around business models probably do more harm than good, as we really need to think through innovative solutions to things like climate and pandemics and affordable housing and the, the growing disparity between the haves and have nots. It's so important for any kind of entrepreneurial journey, uh, leadership journey, particularly within the social entrepreneurial world, as we deal with some unique challenges, um, that we can be real vulnerable about things. And I'd be really curious to know, you mentioned that there was a bit of a wake up call that came when going through your B Corps certification. There was some light cast upon things that you're doing well and things that you maybe have an opportunity to improve upon. So could you talk about a little bit about both of those examples? Yeah, no, happy to. I mean, I think I would say that the B Corp uh, structure and certification. Uh, and for those of us that have gone through it, we know that it's, it's daunting, which is good because, you know, you don't want, you don't want every organization to go out there and, and be able to, to get one of these, uh, things. Cause then it, it sort of loses its value. 
even before uh, the B Corp certification, one of the things that I would say uh, I fell down on, that fell down, fell down at as a leader was diversity and diversity of uh, of our team and and our thought. And I had that view of being sort of an innocent bystander to uh, systemic racism. I went on a bit of a soul search, you know, personally and also professionally as well. And and I think when you look at our organization of what it was five years ago, uh, and and not only the color of people's skin that are that are here at Davis Pier, but also their lived experience, uh, we are a completely different organization and we are a much better organization because of that. Uh, and as a result, A, that that's just the right lens and the right mindset to have as as a leader in an organization or a leader in society. Uh, but also, I believe we're doing a much better job at the work that we're asked to do because of that. It's very cliche to say that, you know, you get diverse people around a table and you get better outcomes and better answers and, and it's a better process. We've actually lived in, and observed that. And so that's something that I'm I'm really proud to say uh, we identified it as uh, as an issue. And it was a it was a blind spot and a bias for us that, that we really need to think hard, think hard about. And, and, uh, and we did that. Uh, I think another area where uh, where we have more work to do is around uh, climate and environment, both in terms of our internal practices uh, and also supporting clients and partners in in that space. We've we've begun to do some work at the urging of uh, of clients um, to do that, but I, I was always a little bit hesitant to wade into that that space, assuming that there were there were lots of people that were were kind of sort of tackling that those issues. Uh, and I think what we came to find out is that, you know, like healthcare issues, like uh, social services issues, there's lots of experts, there's lots of scientists, there's lots of engineers, and there's a need for people that understand that content and and can bring it into community um, to find those solutions that will work for community. Um, and and so we've we've had uh, had the good fortune to uh, to start to do a little bit of that work. Not we're not climate experts. Uh, but I think where we do have a, have value is understanding what the experts are saying uh, and understanding how to work with community to translate their needs and then find that middle ground that, that government can regulate, basically. I, I very much appreciate the um, openness and vulnerability. And as a society, there certainly has been a reawakening to uh, certainly amongst those of us who, um, you know, uh, strike pretty high when it comes to uh, on the privilege wheel, right? When it's uh, st- staring us in the face, uh, I think it's very, very important uh, to be able to take a step back. And you remind me of a quote there, Mike, um, there are no sidelines. We are all in it. We're all implicated. If I'm not joining the struggle to dismantle a system that advantages me, I am complicit. And that's something that, you know, when you said bystander, that kind of that kind of stood out because uh, it it's it's definitely not something uh, to uh, to, to, to st- step away from, but rather to lean into. So I think all the power to you and to the organization for doing that and likely uh, a lot more on the journey to come on that end. From a business perspective, from a social entrepreneurial perspective, I'm sure that there has been a huge amount of learnings of challenges along the way over the course of the last decade or so. Um, curious to know if there's any that stand out. When I say, "What was your biggest challenge of the last ten years?" What stands out to you, and what would you what would you be willing to share? I think one of the biggest challenges, uh, which we've turned into an opportunity, 
um, is around people, is around finding the right people and understanding what it even means to find the right people. You know, for us, it, it is about uh, being able to identify people that are values aligned, that have competencies, but not necessarily experience. It's similar values, but haven't necessarily done all of the things that in the past that they would do at the company. Uh, and I think in every business, finding the right team is important. I think when you're in professional services, where, you know, we don't have assets, we don't have, we don't make things. Uh, we are a people business. It's it's really really important, and so that has been challenging. You know, trying to you know trying to do that, and then and also then layering on ensuring that we understand the implications of systemic bias and and the importance of diversity uh, as well. So that's that's been a challenge. Um, you know, on a, on the broad scale, I think as a as a leader of an organization, uh, and I referenced um, the imposter syndrome. Starting a business and then growing a business uh, is is absolutely a, it's a harrowing experience, you know, for for people that have been you know successful at it, for people that haven't been successful at it. Uh, we've been very very lucky uh, to grow year over year, which means that our business changes every couple of years as well, uh, which means that my job changes every couple of years, and I've never done this before, so <laughs> it's not like I've. I've started a bunch of companies and I've got a bunch of those, uh, those experiences and, and lessons learned from all of the companies uh, that, I've, that I've started. Uh, so you, you need to figure out, you need to have sort of courage of convictions uh, in, in the decisions that you're making. You need to surround yourself with people that you trust and get advice. But you also need to understand that their advice is from their context. Uh, and so sometimes people give me advice that I, I don't think applies. And, and I think in the early days, I, I took a lot of that advice and tried to emulate it. Uh, and now I feel confident enough to know that I've gotten more decisions right than I haven't got right. And it was through just, I guess, understanding the differences that we've been trying to sort of create at Davis Pier. Mm, it changes every couple of years. I so I so appreciate that. Um, and Mike, just just to to kind of make sure that we have an idea of even just the size and whatnot, because you said you started as a team of two, and now you've grown to the size you are today. What is the size today? How big of an organization are you? Yeah, we're just under a hundred people uh, across the two organizations, uh, and we've got uh, we've got folks in in three provinces. Uh, so we're we're here in Halifax, we're we're in Charlottetown, uh, Prince Edward Island, and we're in uh, in Toronto. Uh, as well. Gotcha. Thanks so much. Picking up the thread on business side, uh, give us a sense, help us learn a little bit about the numbers, the investments that you have made, uh, the revenue you generate, uh, the contracts, you know, what are the sources of revenue? How do you square this uh, you know, place? As I said, we're a very, very simple business model. Uh, I mean, most of what we do is is sort of contractually fee for service. It's a utilization model where people bill to projects. This fiscal year uh, will break 10 million in revenue. And then I think the amount of funding that Peer Labs uh, solidifies is in and around about a million and a half dollars of funding a year for its projects. So that gives you some idea of the of the scale. Um, in you know in terms of how we started it, because uh, I've I've done a little bit of work you know, in the startup community with a few organizations that have a much different business model. You know, I think you could say that we bootstrapped from day one, tried to reinvest profit in growing the organization. And 
you know, what's been really interesting is, is of course, when you're, when you're eight or 10 or 12 people, pretty much everybody that you have in our business model is, is a revenue generator. Uh, when you grow to 70 and 80 and 90, uh, you outgrow that. Uh, and so we've really needed to think about what our investments are. And usually the investments that we make are in people, uh, either in, in growing people or in, uh, in finding, uh, people that will be assets to the organization, um, but not client facing. So, you know, whether that's thinking through different methodologies or, you know, managing our, uh, our people and, uh, and our diversity work or, Thinking about you know developing our communications and and uh, marketing approaches like these are all things that when you're a small business you do off the side of your desk and that's okay because well whether it's okay or not you don't have any money <laughs> to to actually invest in these things when you get to a certain point uh, they become more important and so you know I think we've done a good job of of thinking about where best to invest those resources and then furthermore you know back to the social enterprise model. We've also invested in ways of sort of working with community uh, and doing pro bono work with community. Uh, we do a lot of work with uh, with Dalhousie, for instance. We do work with United Way. Uh, we've got charities of choice, and that stuff's important, certainly. But I think our skill set and our expertise uh, is even more important than the financial resources that we could donate to some of these organizations, because we really do have a good understanding of their business model. Because you know, whether they're clients or, you know, we are working with them on behalf of government, we have a keen understanding of the challenges that they face. And so we do a lot of work, uh, I think, you know, directly with them and, and on their uh, behalf as well. Uh, give us a little more insights, especially working with the government and the departments uh, and even uh, civil society uh, community sector, often as a consulting business, uh, one does not often have final decision-making power or, uh, you know, so you may have done a wonderful job in dissecting the problem, uh, you know, suggesting some disruptive uh, ways of approaching things, but eventually, especially with uh, some of the state actors, uh, not necessarily the most innovative or the way their systems are, how do you navigate that space and how do you make sure that your reports, your, uh, your thinking, does uh, see the light of the day? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think people would be surprised to know how many innovative people there are in the public sector. A lot of the issues that exist, you know, when you when you see a lack of innovation, is really driven more by the system barriers than the mindset of of people. And so, you know, I'm a I'm a huge proponent of of not letting Good be the enemy of great. And what I mean by that is you can come up with all kinds of spectacular and innovative solutions, but if you can't actually implement them, they're useless. You can come up with, you know, policy recommendations, but if they don't take the, in the context of the people that are in the decision making seats or the influencers and what they want, then they're useless. And so, you know, we, we have always looked at our job at Davis Pier as being a marathon. It's the, it's the long game, right? We're trying to support uh, the public sector and the community sector in, as they are trying to make where we live and our communities a better place. Uh, and so 
there are many times when we develop recommendations that it isn't the right you know time for them. Um, it doesn't mean they're not going to happen. It just means that maybe they're not going to happen right now. And so if you think about it long term and you think about you know, building those relationships with those decision makers. You know, we want them to come back to us when, when they've got a complex issue and, and problem to solve. Uh, and the way that you do that is you collaborate with them and you work with them, uh, as opposed to, you know, going away and then showing up with a big reveal of a report or a presentation or an innovative idea that hasn't considered all of that complexity in the environment uh, that it that it needs to. And I'll take a liberty of asking you an even tougher question. How do you navigate the political space uh, in this, where you have people with different ideologies around role of business and role of community sector and what the priorities are and how they allocate exchequer's dollars? When you maintain this relationship, how does the political side play out? Um, you know, our our job is to be uh, nonpartisan and uh, supportive of implementation of policy. So, you know, it's my belief that the citizenry chooses, uh, the government. Those are the ultimate decision makers in a jurisdiction for a period of time. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that it's our role to support that detailed design and implementation of policy concepts. There's no shortage of work for people that can translate ideas into progress and reality. And, and that's the value proposition that, that we bring. Um, and so we want to be known to the politicians, but we rarely actually work with them or meet with them. Uh, we are engaged by the bureaucracy uh, in, in most cases. How do you as an organization come to terms with that marathon approach when working with community and maintain a level of trust and relationship when you're working on these important community projects that can have a significant impact in the short term versus longer term impact, as you know, some may say big ships turn slowly and bureaucracy sometimes takes a little bit longer approach to it. So how do you play that balancing act and know when to push on bureaucracy and know when to push back with humility and empathy uh, at, a, at a community level? I'm not sure that we get it right every time. I, I do feel, though, that we try to approach every engagement with authenticity and if you approach it with authenticity and openness and honesty then i think what you do is you start to build up trust uh, i think that's one thing and i think that also comes down to making sure that we do what we say we're going to do you know so if we're in community we don't overpromise. Uh, we try to provide you know an, the the perspective of the public sector because we have a good understanding of it vice versa when we are engaging with people within government we try very hard um, to to be a voice not the voice but a voice for community and, and help them understand you know those those challenges and really play uh, play in the middle and uh, and I think that's a lot of the things that we we end up doing really we're trying to broker solutions amongst a lot of people that ultimately want the same outcome and the same output but they're coming from different places. And they're coming from different lived experiences. And as a result, people are saying the same thing using different terms. Uh, and, and so a lot of, I think, what we do is, is try to translate. And then, you know, we've been doing this for 10 years. And I think, you know, we've, we've had a couple of wins. Uh, and, and then people will, you know, people see that and realize that we can be trusted to kind of thread that needle between government decision makers and between community. We don't talk 
nearly enough or think nearly enough about what the private sector can be doing as it relates to solving big, complex social issues. Um, and I think that's a really interesting emerging area that, that we've started to think about that we really want to see progress. And I, I don't think that we have held the private sector as accountable enough to really be focused on uh, what are you doing for people? So we understand what you're doing for the planet now. Okay. What are you doing for people? How are you taking care of your people? Uh, how are your products or services impacting people that are out there? And in, until we really get an understanding of, of how to turn that into something that the private sector understands, like a market, uh, I think we will continue to be disappointed in the scale, right? I think a lot of social enterprises that you that you find are small businesses. And I think what we need is some of those larger businesses to get a lot more serious about dedicating resources to social impact. I think that there's a lot there. You know, one of the things that we like to say when we are launching, you know, launching on this this podcast journey, we we're talking about how we wanted to um, really engage with the social impact curious. And, uh, you know, you have a perfect segue there to this kind of final question that I'd, I'd love to leave you with here, which is, you know, what advice would you give to individuals or organizations that are looking to make a shift towards more social enterprising activities, social impact work, you know, um, um, working within that S, within ESG? Um, what advice would you have for organizations that are looking to really increase, scale up their impact, be they currently set up as a private institution or, you know, any, any other kind of business designation they may have? Probably the ones that have been successful at it, and I, and I don't know this for uh, for a fact, but I think the ones that have been successful at it have found a way to integrate social impact into the core of their business, right? Especially for small to medium sized organizations, because anybody listening to this uh, podcast knows that there's no shortage of work. There's no shortage of things to do, and certainly in a small to medium sized organization uh, or for individuals that you know wanna wanna found an organization. Uh, they're pulled in a hundred different directions. So to the extent that you can incorporate that social impact into things that you already need to do, I think that probably is, uh, is, is the easiest way to go. And also defining what social impact means uh, as well. Again, it's, it's a cloudy space, right? I mean, social impact could be taking care of your employees. It could be giving back to charities. It could be, you know, you know, whether that's volunteering time or money, it could be, uh, you know, long-term care facility, uh, for instance, taking care of, of, you know, aging individuals, whether that's a for-profit or a not-for-profit, it's just a, it's a very diverse space. And so uh, I think it's really, really important to get very crisp about what you want to do in that impact space. And to the extent that you can bake that into your business model, I think uh, you'll, you'll be much better off. Thanks for taking us to the whole space of ecosystem thinking. Where are your hopes and dreams? For the company? Yes. And for yourself, probably. If you asked me nine years ago uh, where we would be today, I thought we might be 10 people um, and, and doing some interesting work. So it's, it's frankly hard for me to get my head around where, you know, where we're going to go. I hope that we can take the platform that we've built here in Atlantic Canada and have national scale. Uh, which is why we're in Toronto. There's, I think, a really interesting opportunity to impact 
policy change and business change by being in Toronto. So that's that's certainly uh, one big area. I think uh, another interesting area is you know to continue to bring our impact because social innovation lab uh, into our consulting work to make sure that we're doing what would have normally been considered consulting work in a way that adheres to structured research and you know research ethics uh, especially when you're working with community and you know I think the final thing is I think that there is a really great opportunity for us to start to work in the infrastructure space in the affordable housing space to apply the social policy expertise and lens that we have to these large infrastructure uh, types of investments. And if uh, given your bird's eye view, what kind of policy barriers remain for more and more businesses to become you know, socially conscious, environmentally conscious and intentional in that? How can a policy environment shift can enable uh, some of that? My experience with uh, with policy and policy change is that it usually follows uh, public discourse. It usually follows what people want. And, you know, it tends to be because there's no shortage of things to fix and certainly no shortage of things for government to be involved in. Uh, it, it tends to be a bit more of a reactive uh, response uh, than I think, you know, perhaps uh, we would want it to be. So as a result, I don't know that government's going to pay attention to social enterprise until we all start to pay more attention to social enterprise. I don't know that um, that it's for government to address policy barriers until we all demonstrate that it's a serious issue and everybody needs to be thinking about it. And I don't know what the marketplace looks like uh, to, to do that, but I, I do think that most societal changes come from sort of grassroots types of movements where you get a critical mass of people um, that are asking for something or, or in some cases demanding something. Um, and so if we want government to start to really focus on social impact and social enterprises, we all need to be talking about it more and we all need to be expecting our businesses to, to be in a more, more of a leadership role as it relates to thinking about and measuring the impact that they're having in our, in our communities. This is exactly where Just Good Business hopes to amplify the voices of social enterprises across the province. Thank you for, for articulating it uh, so crisply. Wow, what a journey. I think I've kept up with about 85% of this, Mike, but um, I think it's all incredibly important, specifically what we just left off at, which is there has to be an awareness, a kind of consolidation, um, and a really kind of strong intentional growth aspect within the social enterprising space um, to be able to fully kind of realize the potential of, uh, you know, this type of activity being the business of the future. So very much appreciate your time, your insight, but also the impact that you've had on communities, on governments, on projects for the last decade plus, um, and likely another decade to come from here. Prosperity beyond profit is where we live and thrive. And it's thanks to organizations like this that we're able to, to, to live that value. All right, full disclosure here. I think the 85% number was a bit of a stretch. Let's go with maybe 
This conversation saw us touch on systems level policy work at a high level, which can sometimes lose me. But I'd like to emphasize the humility and vulnerability needed to take a hard look at your organization as Mike and Davis Peer have done. Its biases and its complicity in perpetuating systemic racism and inequalities. For that, and the conversation as a whole, I really appreciate Mike's honesty and vulnerability. We heard from Mike how they are operating in the hybrid spaces between private, public, and community sectors. Peer Labs undertakes deep dive in social and policy research, and Davis Peer gets into applied design, innovation, and implementation in housing, in food security, healthcare, elder care, and many other sectors, bringing experts and stakeholders to transform talks into walks, solve real-world challenges. He reluctantly calls it consulting and what I often name as learning partnerships and market systems approach for social impact. If you liked what you heard today, subscribe to tune in for more. I'm Matt. And I'm Anuj. And this has been Just Good Business Podcast.